Bob Murphy Show, episode 186. There's a tidal wave coming. What you gonna do? Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews, conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. In this one, I am going to try to keep it on the shorter side, but... I want to just lay out some basic facts. This guy be spitting facts over here on uh, what happened with the Texas electricity market during the severe winter weather of February 2021. So the quick version is there were two big storms and temperatures were at very low levels for, especially for Texas. And, uh, something like 4.5 million households lost their power, some of them for, you know, more than a, a day. And, uh, you know, and this was the thing where Ted Cruz got caught going to Cancun and came right back and, oh, I was just dropping my daughters off because I'm a good dad and all that stuff. All right, so that's what we're talking about. And more specifically, Governor Abbott was on like Fox News or something complaining about the wind turbines and all the wind turbines we have in Texas. And that was the problem because they're all frozen up. And, you know, there were iconic images on the news of frozen wind turbines and helicopters trying to de-ice them and stuff like that. And then, and some people, I don't know if Abbott said this, but some people are like, see, this is why the Green New Deal would be a disaster or even saying the Green New Deal caused the Texas power outages. And so the left pushed back saying this is a dirty, rotten lie. And it's the, in fact, it was the natural gas power plants that were down, you know, because the, the lines that deliver the natural gas froze up, or a lot of them did. And so this is really, this is, has nothing to do with wind, you dirty, rotten liars. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. And it's more, I just want you to know the numbers because it's neither side is giving you the full picture. It, it's kind of what usually happens in this sort of thing where the people on the right say something that's not quite right. And then when someone like Krugman comes in to quote, correct them, it gives you the complete opposite picture when that also is totally wrong. So it's something like that. All right, so why don't we just go ahead and, and get into it. Uh, before jumping into the numbers and the excerpts and stuff from Krugman, just so you can see what I'm hitting back against, let me just take a brief moment to review our, our high school physics. Uh, a watt is a unit of power. Actually, hang on, let me do the analogy first. So think of, think of in terms of water, okay, and then like a hose. So you got your garden hose, you know, just hooked up to the faucet on the side of the house. And you, if you turn that thing on full power, full blast, how much water flows through that thing? I mean, I, I don't know, but maybe it's like, what, two, three gallons a minute, four gallons a minute, something like that, if you had that thing turn on full blast. In contrast, you know, the, the fire truck hooks up their hose to the fire hydrant and they turn that thing on full blast. That's going to be a much bigger flow, right, in terms of how much water per minute. You know, I have no idea, 50 gallons, 100 gallons per minute, something like that. 
if you had to go fill up your swimming pool, which one would you rather use? Okay. But notice the units there. When we're talking about flow, it's, it's a rate. It's like how much water per unit time in there. I happen to pick the units of gallons per minute. Okay. So if in contrast though, what if I said, hey, we, we filled up the swimming pool yesterday and that was, we put in whatever, 5,000 gallons of water, then that would, you would just be saying like, how, how much water did you deliver in that particular period? You wouldn't be talking about the rate in terms of like a smaller unit of time and, and the flow. You would just say, how many gallons did you put in? So naturally, if you're using the little garden hose, it would take a longer time versus the bigger one. All right. And so with electricity, when we're talking about like a power plant and what's its capacity, or if we're looking at like power sources and we say something like, oh, how much, you know, uh, in terms of wind power in, in Texas, how much uh, total capacity is there installed? Or there, what we're, the units we're going to be using are probably megawatts, which are, you know, are millions of watts. And that is um, quoted in terms of joules or, or a watt is joules per second, right? So that's energy per unit time because a joule is a unit of energy or work. If you're familiar with work in the context of physics, specifically a joule is one newton of force applied through one meter of distance. Okay, so again, one watt is defined as one joule per second. So a megawatt means one million joules per second and a gigawatt's one billion. And then in contrast, what's a megawatt hour? So that's megawatts applied over the course of an hour, right? So if you had your, your fire hose turned on for an hour, you could multiply the numbers through like the rate times the hour duration to figure out how many gallons of water total did you deliver. So that likewise, megawatt hours are measuring energy because it's looking at the megawatts, whatever the power is, the capacity to do work per unit time, times an hour of duration. Okay, so you're getting the flow then applied to a, du a duration of time, for example, an hour, and then that's going to be energy, just like, you know, gallons. Okay, so in, in some of these statistics that I'm going to be rattling off to you in a little bit in this episode, just keep that in mind, that the capacity, and if you go and read stuff like, oh, gee, well, how many megawatts of natural gas were got knocked offline or blah, 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 like they're, they're talking about power, the ability to do work per unit time, the ability to deliver a certain amount of energy per second or whatever, as opposed to other statistics I'm going to be giving you are going to say how much electricity did natural gas supply on the date February 15th, 2021, for example, the first day when the blackouts were implemented. And so there, what I'm looking at is for that whole 24-hour period, how much electricity total, how much energy in the form of electricity was delivered that came from natural gas sources. Okay. And so again, that's energy because it's saying over the course of that entire day, how much was delivered. Just like you could say that garden hose on Tuesday, how many total gallons did it put into the pool? Okay. So those are the conventions again, just, so just don't get mixed up with what's the difference between a megawatt and a megawatt hour, that kind of stuff, or what's the difference between capacity versus energy delivered. Okay, so let me draw on an article I did for the Mises Institute. Uh, of course, we'll link to this. So again, folks, this is bobmurphyshow.com slash 186 if you want to see these links. So here, let me first draw on 
a February 18th column from Krugman. It was titled, Texas, Land of Wind and Lies. So he starts out, uh, Republican politicians and right-wing media have coalesced around a malicious falsehood instead. The claim that wind and solar power caused the collapse of the Texas power grid and that radical environmentalists are somehow responsible for the fact that millions of people are freezing in the dark. Then he goes on, a power grid poorly prepared to deal with extreme cold suffered multiple points of failure. The biggest problems appear to have come in the delivery of natural gas, which normally supplies most of the state's winter electricity as wellheads and pipelines froze. And then a little bit later he says, it's true that the state generates a lot of electricity from wind, although it's a small fraction of the total. We'll come back to that in a second. But that's not because Texas, Texas, he has like a dash and then Texas again with an exclamation point, is run by environmental crazies. It's because these days wind turbines are a cost-effective energy source wherever there's a lot of wind. And one thing Texas has is a lot of wind. It's also true that extreme cold forced some of the state's insufficiently winterized wind turbines to shut down. But this was happening to Texas energy sources across the board with the worst problems involving natural gas. Okay, so, and by the way, in his column, Krugman literally has no numbers, except for like if he says January 6th or something and has a six there. Because yes, he does manage to somehow bring up January 6th in this column about the Texas energy crisis. So, from that, what would you think? Okay, number one, you would think the share of Texas's electricity that comes from wind is is a small fraction because that's what he said, right? So <laughs> you could understandably think he wasn't lying to you. You would also think probably that, oh, Texas was sitting there minding its own business with regular winter electricity consumption. The cold came and a bunch of the energy sources got knocked down from what they normally produce during the winter, but natural gas got knocked down by more. And then that's why a lot of people went without power was because um, they couldn't you know, provide what normally the different sources would produce on a typical winter day. You would probably think something like that, right? That is not what happened. All right. So one thing you have to realize is normally Texas doesn't use, I mean, when I say, when I'm talking about relative I mean, compared to other periods of the year, Texas doesn't use as much electricity during February as it does during the summer, right? And that makes sense because uh, normally Texas is just cool in the winter, whereas it gets really hot in the summer. And so it takes a lot of electricity to run air conditioning. And it's it's like uh, somebody once told my dad that he, he was remarking about a mall in the winter. He's like, wow, I can imagine the heat needed, you know, how much how much energy it takes to keep this place warm. And I said, no, actually, that's not that big a deal. He said, the problem is in the summer, keeping this place cool, right? Because the, you know, people, the crowds, their body heat, you know, keeps the buildings warm. Okay, so that's what's going on in Texas. So what happened is the amount of electricity that people wanted to use in Texas hit literally record highs for wintertime. When, when these storms hit, okay? Um, in particular, so on February 14th, Valentine's Day, peak demand on the grid surpassed 69 gigawatts. Okay, so again, that, that doesn't mean for the whole day. I'm just saying at the, at the highest level, the amount of, remember, energy per unit time that they were trying to suck out of the energy grid, 
broke the previous winter record, which had been set back in 2018 of just about 66 gigawatts. So again, back in 2018, they set what was then the wintertime record of peak electric load on the grid. It was about 66 gigawatts. And then now, just as, you know, a few weeks ago, as I'm recording this on February 14th, the peak demand actually surpassed 69 gigawatts, okay? Which again is breaking the, the wintertime record. And so what cut to the chase, the grid delivered more electricity. And then the next day, February 15th, in the early in the wee hours of the morning, is when they started implementing the blackouts, the ERCOT, which is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. ERCOT is the acronym. They instant started instituting the rolling blackouts the early hours of February 15th, to, you know, otherwise the whole grid collapses if they try to deliver more power than is available. Okay? So again, that's that's one thing just to clarify your thinking on this is you might have thought Texas was just sitting there doing normal consumption and then a bunch of the normal supply fell off because of the cold and that's where the shortfall came in. No, it's people wanted to use literally record amounts for that time of year and they couldn't produce that much because a lot of the capacity had been knocked out. But in terms of what was actually delivered was much higher than on a typical winter day, at least from natural gas. So I toyed around with different ways of getting you to see this. And so what I settled on was comparing, so February 15th, 2021, again, that's the first day of the blackouts. So this is when, you know, the crunch was really hitting in and a bunch of people were without power bunch of households. So on that day, if we look at total electricity output in the state of Texas by source, quoted in megawatt hours, these, this is what we have. That from natural gas, we have just under 760,000 megawatt hours. Wind only delivered 73,000. Solar was 20,000. Coal was 205,000. Nuclear was 98,000, something like that. All right. Um, in terms of the percentages, natural gas was about 65% of the total, whereas wind was only 6% of the total on this day in question, February 15th, 2021, when the crisis really struck. Okay. So now you say, well, what, how does that compare to a typical winter day? So what I did is I looked at the prior year. So I looked at February 15th, 2020, exactly one year earlier to see, you know, what was natural gas output like? What was wind output like on that day? And there, natural gas only delivered 398,000 megawatts, whereas wind delivered 264,000 megawatts. All right. So I realize if you're listening to this, as opposed to reading an article, it's tricky to, to keep track of this. So let me just give you the, the percentage changes. So in terms of the total, right, how much total electricity was delivered on the date of February 15th, 2021, right? So the one that just happened when we had this crisis, it was 24% higher than the total amount of electricity the grid delivered to Texans one year earlier, right? So that's right there an interesting thing to point out, that when this happened, when the storm hit, and everyone's complaining about Texas power going offline and what a failure it was, and they're trying to, you know, assess the blame. The grid on this day delivered 24% more total electricity than it had the year earlier, on, you know, a more typical winter day. So that, that's what I'm getting at here is that, you know, the issue makes you realize it's not that 
this was normal demand and supply fell off a cliff. It was that demand peaked or spiked to literally unprecedented for wintertime levels and the supply couldn't quite keep up with it. All right. But even with the supply problems, they still deliver 24% more total electricity to their customers during this crisis than the year earlier. Now, here's really where it's fun. If you look at the change, right? So I want to look at how much did natural gas's electrical output change between the two days and how much did winds change? So going from February 15th, 2020 to February 15th, 2021, the output of electricity from natural gas on that day in question was up 91%. Okay, so almost doubled, right? Again, the numbers were natural gas this time around delivered just under 760,000 megawatt hours on that day, whereas the prior year, it was only 398,000 megawatt hours. Wind, in contrast, was down 72%. Okay, so again, natural gas's output in terms of electricity generation was up 91% year over year, whereas wind was down 72%. And in, in terms of the percentages, remember, I'm just repeating, uh, last year, you know, a year ago, May 15, or sorry, February 15th, 2020, natural gas was 43% of the total electric output and wind was 28%. Now, right when the storm was kicking in and it was freezing, a year after, a year later, natural gas had jumped to 65% of the total and wind had fallen to 6%. Incidentally, solar was about two, was 2% of the total on both days for what that's worth. And in terms of the absolute numbers, if you're curious, solar was up 38%. Coal was up 54%. Nuclear was down 20%. There was something I didn't research enough. I don't know exactly what happened with the nuclear plants as, as why their output was lower this time around. You know, what, what, what effect the coal had on them? I'm, I'm not, I don't know enough to talk about that. But the numbers are saying it's nuclear's output was down 20%. Okay. So that right there is kind of interesting. And it's also interesting when you say, well, oh, that's funny how Krugman was saying. By the way, before I forget, Remember when Krugman said, yes, it's true that wind supplies a lot of electricity to Texas, but it's a small fraction of the total. What, what number would the, would the fraction have to be for him not to be a liar? Let me just let you think about that for a second. Let me reread the quote. Krugman says, it's true that the state generates a lot of electricity from wind, although it's a small fraction of the total. So... For the entire year 2020, right? Because that's what we have all the data for. For the entire year 2020, what percent of electricity produced in Texas do you think came from wind power or, or would have to come from wind power? What's the, what's the highest percentage to make Krugman not being a liar when he says it's a small fraction of the total? I'm not going to tell you what that answer should be. Just you decide on your own. Because Krugman doesn't tell us in the article. Like I said, there's no numbers except for numerals referring to dates. Right, so you wouldn't. He wouldn't actually know the actual answer. He, he's just telling you, "Oh, it's a small fraction." So, what do you think it is, or not? What do you think it is? But rather, what's the most it could be for Krugman not to be a liar? All right. And the answer is to end your suspense. Twenty percent. No, no, no. Excuse me. Twenty-two percent. I saw somebody else who must have been rounding up. I just looked up the exact number. So, for the year twenty twenty, 
wind produced 22% of Texas's electricity. And that was the first year, I believe, that it jumped above coal's share. Okay, so again, in the year, so natural gas was the highest, don't get me wrong, but wind came in in second place, supplying 22% of Texas's electricity, a bigger fraction than coal. And yet that was what Krugman said. Hey, yeah, it's true. Wind does supply a lot of electricity in Texas, but it's a small fraction of the total. So there you go. Hey, folks, let's take a break from the discussion to mention that if you are interested in the infinite banking concept or IBC, but you never really looked into it, you may have heard me mention it. We have a video series that's up. It's been up for a few months now, but just in case you missed it, it's called The Foundations of IBC. So it's just short little 10 to 15 minute chunks of video where Carlos Lara, David Stearns, and I take turns teaching on relevant aspects of IBC. We start at the beginning and assume you know nothing and go through the basics. And uh, I think you should give it a shot. So go to bobmurphyshow.com slash foundations to see the free video series that's now online. Okay. Now, what I also did because some people were, I, w- I was going, I don't, I don't know if he wants me to mention him, a guy I know who often differs with me on energy issues, energy policy, but he's an honest guy and, and you know, we can get along. And I was just running this stuff by him. Because by the way, I should mention, just to give a shout out, my former colleagues at the Institute for Energy Research. The only reason I even looked into this stuff further was because I saw articles from the IAR team and then Rob Bradley wrote something responding to Krugman. And so now I'm just elaborating, you know, taking what they started and, and hunting down for more facts to, 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 in terms of the back and forth of the, of the rhetoric. And so I originally bounced these ideas off of somebody who would be skeptical. And he was saying, well, it's, the, the reason though is that people didn't expect wind to do well anyway. And, you know, you, you need to look at compared to like the summer, like that's when there's, there's peak demands. So I said, okay. So I also, in this comparison of what happened on February 15th, 2021, I looked at what happened on August 15th of 2020. Okay. So looking at the summer, by the way, I originally looked at July 15th and there it was really a slam dunk case that natural gas outproduced on February 15th, what natural gas did on July 15th. But then this guy was, well, but August is actually a, a heavier month than July. So I looked, I first checked August 1st, then I checked August 15th. So I'm not cherry picking. I'm doing the opposite of cherry picking. I'm, what, cherry spitting? That would be the opposite. I kept adjusting the, the relevant comparison date to make it worse for natural gas. So if I pick April, August 15th, then it shows natural gas was down on February 15th compared to that prior one. Okay, so again, August, I'm, I'm now comparing what was the electricity delivered from various sources, comparing the amounts... On February 15th, 2021, the first day of the blackouts in Texas because of the freeze, compared to the prior August 15th, you know, in the dead of summer, dog days of summer when there's a really high demand on the electric power grid in Texas. Okay, so the total was down 16%. Okay, so again, during the deep freeze in Texas, the total amount of electricity delivered was 16% lower than it was on the prior August 15th. Now, when you look at terms of the individual sources, though, natural gas was down. Again, it had about 760,000 megawatt hours on February 15th, whereas back in August 15th, 
it had delivered just under 814,000 megawatt hours. So it's down during the deep freeze, but it's only down by 7%. In contrast, wind was down 47%. And just for completeness, solar was down 11%, coal was down 29%, and nuclear was down 18%. Okay, again, so all the major power sources were down... If, you, if you're asking the question, how much total electricity did they deliver on February 15th, 2021, relative to what they had delivered the prior August 15th, they were all lower, but natural gas had the smallest drop. It only dropped 7%. And wind had the biggest drop. It dropped 47%. All right, so of the two reference dates that I picked there to you know, try to get a handle on how much electricity was delivered by power sources on February 15th, 2021, when the deep freeze happened and they implemented the rolling blackouts. If I look at the prior 12 months, you know, exactly one year earlier, natural gas is up 91%, and that's the biggest. And wind is down 72%. That's the biggest drop. Or if I look compared to August 15th, they're all down. Natural gas is down the least at only 7%. And wind is down the most at 47%. Okay, so in both, compared to both reference days, natural gas did the best, either in terms of the biggest increase or the smallest fall, and wind did the worst. That both In both cases, it was down, and in both cases, it was down the most of all the energy sources I'm looking at. I, I didn't include hydro in my thing because it was dinky, and no one's talking about hydro, so I, I don't know off the top of my head if hydro was worse. Hydros, you know, peanuts. Okay. So isn't that weird <laughs> to, to look at these numbers and be like, yeah, yeah, what happened was natural gas really dropped the ball and, and wind, you know, wind, wind is just a side story here. That, that's, that's weird to me. That that's, that's the way we're going to describe this. So now you say, okay, Bob, but come on, it's not like all these people are lying. And it's not just Krugman saying that. So wh- where they're coming from is that if you look at, ERCOT's like emergency plans that they had. And, you know, I think there was a document, I want to say like in November, don't quote me on that. But in, you know, internal documents came to light and people were blogging about it and, or people don't blog anymore, do they? They were tweeting about it, doing analyses that way. Um, and so if you look at what their emergency planning was and sort of saying, hey, what if we get hit with a bad winter storm? You know, what's, what's our contingency plan? They assumed that wind wouldn't do much because they know, oh yeah, if it's really cold or whatever and the wind doesn't blow or the turbines freeze, you can't expect much from wind is very temperamental, right? It's a, vol- it's a volatile energy source. It's not reliable. When it's good, it's great. But when it's bad, it's not there. And so that's why you always, even for you know th- grids that have a, a large component of wind power, and Texas, by the way, has by far the largest amount of wind capacity in terms of, you know, how much total electricity per unit time can the wind turbines deliver if, if the wind's blowing and they're all running gangbusters. Texas has by far the highest total capacity of, in terms of like megawatts installed. But that's partly because Texas is so big. Um, in terms of the share of their total capacity, it doesn't lead the country, but it's still pretty high. Um, it's just about, it's just under 25% in terms of the latest figures that I've seen. Okay, so again, if you just ask if every energy source were operating its maximum potential in terms of the total capacity of electrical generation in the state of Texas, 
as of the, the most recent numbers that I saw, almost 25% of that total would be coming from wind. So there are some states where the fraction's much higher, but they, since they're smaller than Texas, they don't have as much total, you know, in terms of absolute numbers, how much electricity could their uh, wind sources generate? Okay, so Texas is big on that. But even so, my point is you can't just rely on wind. You always have to have backup systems of whatever, natural gas, coal, what have you, because everybody knows well, sometimes the wind doesn't blow and then you got to have something backing it up, all right? So what the people mean who are saying, oh, the problem with what happened in Texas in February had nothing to do with the Green New Deal, these dirty right-wing liars, it was, it was natural gas was the main thing. They're saying is in terms of the capacity, the most megawatts of capacity were in terms of the shortfall came from natural gas. And, and in any event, in terms of the contingency planning, ERCOT authorities always figured, oh yeah, in a pinch, wind might not show up. And so we have to have it that the so-called thermal units, um, you know, the fossil fuels and nuclear, they would have to be able to basically supply everything. And then they would, you know, forecast, well, what, how much do you think we might need? And da, 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 da. Okay, so the, and that they're saying natural gas didn't supply as much because there were a lot of that that were offline because of the of the freeze. All right, so that's what they mean when they say the problem was natural gas, not wind. But I'm just pointing out that it's it's a weird. Like I, I made two different joke analogies in the article. I said, okay, that's kind of like though when General Zod takes over in the movie Superman Two. You know, and the, the president says, Superman, where are you? Right? He doesn't say, Jimmy Olsen, where are you? <laughs> right? So there's a sense in which, you know, Superman say, well, it's not my fault. Right? Jimmy Olsen didn't stop General Zod either. But it's like, yeah, but everyone knows Jimmy Olsen's useless. He's not going to be able to stop. Only, only you can, Superman. So that's why we blame Superman. How did General Zod take over? And the other joke I made analogy was to say that there's a sense in which, you know, what, what Krugman is admitting is that wind is the Ted Cruz of Texas energy or electricity, right? That remember when Ted Cruz went to Cancun or whatever and Dinesh D'Souza was defending him and being, you know, saying, what, everyone knows Ted Cruz and they're going to be able to do anything about this. So who cares whether he shows up or not? So that's kind of what the defenders of wind power are saying with this stuff is, oh, come on. Nobody ever expected wind to be any use during a winter crisis. We all knew wind might not be there. What they expected, natural gas was supposed to be there. It's supposed to be reliable, and it wasn't. So, yes, in terms of we're debating over what happened on this specific incident, you can blame natural gas if you want, if that's the way you want to do it. And there, you know that's a plausible approach. But in terms of broader lessons for energy policy, it's a bit weird for the defenders of wind power to be saying the story here is how natural gas failed. When the only way you can argue, like on any objective, absolute metric, natural gas was the hero here. Natural gas did way more than it did on a typical winter day. And it was the least down from what it would do on a heavy summer day compared to every other energy source. So if you were just looking at this and like, so if you looked at these numbers and said, going forward, which energy source do we want to expand and which do we want to contract? If our goal is to minimize our vulnerability to another winter freeze, clearly you would want to expand natural gas and shrink wind. And that's why, incidentally, the environmentalist agenda is relevant here. Because contrary to Paul Krugman, it's not purely market forces 
driving the huge adoption of wind capacity in Texas. Among other things, there was the production tax credit. All right, I don't want to get into it right now in this episode. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes page if you want to read more on the PTC, the production tax credit. But that was a federal subsidy, right? And Zakrubin, again, he's being slippery by trying to say, oh, come on, it's run, this is Texas. This is run by Republicans. Well, how could you possibly blame the Green New Deal for this? It's a federal tax credit that was partially responsible for why there was so much installed wind capacity in Texas. And this too, this is like, um, it's kind of like when the housing bubble blew up and a bunch of right-wingers were trying to blame Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and you know all the federal programs and stuff to encourage home ownership. And then guys like, what are you talking about? No, this is a purely market phenomenon. There's no, what, what reason could you possibly think that these federal programs had anything to do with pushing people into buying houses who otherwise would? And it's like, okay, but before the crisis happened, the cheerleaders for those programs were arguing that they were a success because they changed the market outcome. That was the whole point of having Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac do whatever they were doing and to have the other initiatives that were bipartisan um, to encourage home ownership and to make sure banks lent to traditionally disadvantaged communities who normally would be de- denied mortgages and blah, blah, blah. Right? So back before the thing blew up, everybody was saying, oh, yes, the government, thank goodness, came in. So now more people can afford to buy homes who otherwise would have to rent. And then when it blows up, we're talking, we had nothing to do with pushing people into housing. This is, this is Goldman Sachs all the way. What are you talking about? So same thing here, that AWEA, which is the American Wind Energy Alliance, that's the trade group that you know pushes wind power, every time the production tax credit would come up for expiration and then groups would be wrangling over whether to extend it or not, they would freak out and they would put up you know bar charts showing how installed wind capacity nationwide was a function of the federal tax credit program. And that, oh no, if, if we let this thing expire, then we can kiss goodbye all the new installed wind capacity. So when it comes to arguing over the policy of whether we should have this production tax credit, the pro-win groups admitted quite openly, no, if we get rid of this subsidy, then people won't install as many wind turbines. And since we want that for you know global warming reasons or whatever, excuse me, climate change, again, why do we keep having these deep freezes in February in, in Texas? Because of global warming. I mean, because of climate change. Polar vortex, right? But then... When all of a sudden, oh, gee, why is it that Texas had tw- almost 25% of its official generating capacity in the form of wind, which everybody now apparently agrees is completely useless during a deep freeze? Well, partly because of the production tax credit. The, the production tax credit is so generous, by the way, that there were periods, I haven't looked at it recently, but there was a period where it was normal to see negative wholesale electricity prices from wind power in Texas. Or in other words, the generators would be willing to produce and sell electricity to the grid and pay the grid to take the electricity off their hands because with the production tax credit, they actually still made money selling at a negative price, okay? Um, one last thing here, and I'll wrap up just to give you a sense. I ran the numbers, and if you look at the latest figures for the summer 2020 net peak capacity. Natural gas is is about 69,000 megawatts, whereas wind was about 30,000 megawatts. All right. And then if you take that number and you multiply it by 24 to come up with, you know, what's the theoretical maximum 
energy that could be produced by that power source over a, a one-day period, right? So the megawatts times 24 hours would be the total megawatt hours over a one-day period. And then you look at the percentage of that as to what was actually delivered by that power source on February 15th, 2021, right? So what I'm doing is I'm saying relative to the theoretical maximum, if these things were running on all cylinders, to mix metaphors, for the full day of February 15th, 2021, you know, I'm, I'm doing the, the ratio or the fraction, that's the denominator. And then the numerator is how many megawatt hours did they actually produce on this day in question? So for natural gas, it was about 46%. Again, to say how much electricity did natural gas actually deliver to Texans on February 15th, 2021 is a share of what the theoretical maximum capacity is, then it's about 46%. Whereas with wind, it was 10%. All right, so you know, in a sense, natural gas had a four and a half times advantage. So when Abbott and others say, oh yeah, if we hadn't had so much wind, we would have done better. It's not enough. I mean, it seems goofy to say, oh, well, do you want wind or not? As if that's, you know, just a, a free gift. I think, you know, the, the more, the fairer assessment is to say, if there hadn't been these subsidies for wind, and so less of Texas's capacity was consisted of wind and more was natural gas, would Texas have done better? And I'm saying, yeah, clearly. So, you know, I don't know what the counterfactual would be. It's not that if there were no federal production tax credit, there'd be zero wind power in Texas, period. So it's, it would be wrong to just completely replace those two numbers and assume that the entire capacity of wind was not instead natural gas. But you can see the utilization factor was way higher for natural gas than it was for wind on this day in question. So clearly, whatever the shortfall was between demand for electricity and available supply when they had to institute these blackouts, if at that moment more of your capacity consisted of natural gas rather than wind, you would have done better. That shortfall would have been smaller. And so, you know, to say, well, at what point would there not have been a shortfall? I mean, again, it's, you can argue and quibble with it, but the total shortfall, I do not believe was 30,000 megawatts, right? Which is what the wind thing is. So, I mean, I think it's at some point, the idea is if, if all the natural gas had been, well, in any event, it, it depends what the, what the capacity, what the fractions are, but you see my point. So I don't know that we can say that there would have been no blackout had there not been wind power period, but certainly to the extent that more of the grid relied on natural gas than on wind on this day in question, if everything else, you know, behaved the same, clearly Texas would have been in a better position. And so that's not an unreasonable thing to bring up, especially when, yes, people pushing the Green New Deal are totally big advocates for more subsidies and mandates in order to phase out fossil fuels and to bring in more wind and solar. So yeah, it's entirely reasonable for me to come along and just, you know, echoing the stuff that the people at the Institute for Energy Research started that I'm picking up on and to, to point out these facts that natural gas's production, you know, natural gas was clearly the MVP in terms of delivery. And the only way we can possibly argue that natural gas let us down was if we all admit natural gas is the go-to person. You know, it's like if Michael Jordan only scores 20 points, you know, and he's the highest scorer of the Bulls for that game and, and they lose and people say, oh, it's Michael Jordan's fault. Well, yes and no. If you're saying relative to what he could have, you know, if he had had a great day, 
we could have won, whereas you're not expecting anybody else to do much. Okay, that, that's fine. But then to say, okay, going forward when we recruit, do we want to get another Michael Jordan on the team or do we want to get another Scottie Pippen? Because after all, Michael Jordan let us down last year's championship. I mean, that would be goofy. Of course you want another Michael Jordan, right? So same kind of thing here. The only way you can argue that what happened on February 15th and the other days with the power outages was the fault of natural gas is to just say, because everybody knew wind would be relatively useless. So, okay, if you want to just do that to assess the blame on this day, but in terms of relevance for energy policy and particularly subsidies for different wind or different energy types, yes, that's extremely relevant. And people do need to know that wind was relatively useless in this crisis, whereas natural gas, despite its flaws, still produced the most and still did the most compared to earlier days and had a much higher percent of its available capacity utilized than wind did. Okay, I'll wrap it up there. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I'll catch you next time. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.